there's been a lot of um, comparison with what has happened to us with COVID uh, and wartime um, and the fact that, you know, we really did feel as though we were uh, in the trenches or however you want to describe it. We have a huge um, iceberg of untreated patients and we did before COVID and it's only got bigger. For example, um, in other fields, uh, we can measure the impact that uh, not having had colonoscopies is having on uh, missed tumours uh, and how actually the NHS is simply never going to catch up with it unless they uh, double their investment in colonoscopies. Uh, there's going to be, there already uh, is a significant upstaging of tumours from uh, 1% uh, per colonoscopy to 6%. Welcome to BLA Connections, A Clear Voice. This podcast is brought to you by the British Laryngological Association, the BLA. I'm your host, Natalie Watson, and I'm delighted to bring you discussions and insights from across the globe on all things laryngology. Earlier this year, Professor Martin Birchall helped launch BLA Connections A Clear Voice by being our very first guest, sharing his account and experience on laryngological aspects of COVID-19. Six months on, we welcome back Professor Martin Birchall to discuss where we are now, what we have learnt, and how we move forward in the coming months. Welcome, Prof. Hello, Natalie. So, reflecting back on what we discussed in the previous um, podcast, is there anything you would like to expand, comment on, or reflect on from the first episode? Yes, uh, the world has definitely moved on since then. So, I mean, to put this in context, I recorded that at the end of May with you, I believe. You know, at that time, we were very much immersed in the moment. Um, you know, I talked about the shock of being a traditional ENT surgeon faced with, you know, what was pretty much an existential apocalyptic uh, environment on, on the ICUs and the scrabble to cope with, with things that were both unexpected and at times horrifying. Yeah. Really, to start with, only armed with the tools of uh, an ENT world that uh, had appeared to be rendered obsolete overnight you know, where we had to make things up on the hoof and learn things all over again. Um, so that really was, was the thrust. You know, I, I'd, I'd also mentioned how this had improved interdisciplinary working and our understanding and liaisons with our ICU and increased respect for, for the work done by the nurses and um, other professionals in, in the other disciplines that we were working with. Yeah, so, so it was really very reactive, I think, and a lot has happened since then. Yeah. So how have things at UCLH changed for you? So um, I mean, UCLH, obviously, is a you know, central London hospital. Um, and I think that a lot of the things that we've observed and the changes that we've made are reflected uh, nationally to, to one extent or another. There's been a lot of um, comparison with what has happened to us with COVID uh, and wartime. Um, and the fact that, you know, we really did feel as though we were uh, in the trenches or however you want to describe it at the beginning. There's a very, very good book written by somebody called Ian Morris, who's professor of history at Stanford, called War, What Is It Good For? There's no doubt that coronavirus has had I immense uh, adverse effects, not least the loss of life and impact on society. But actually, from all times of, of great trauma, uh, there are also, these tend to be the times of greatest beneficial social change, step changes in technology and healthcare. 
Um, and I think that doesn't just apply to Ian Morris's reflections on war. I think it actually really does apply to to the pandemic, this existential threat that humanity has, has faced. Um, and I think that's just, this is reflected in small scale right across the country and not just at UCLH. So sharing of experiences across hospitals and specialties, um, as, as I alluded to earlier, the sense of kind of not being alone as well, that you know, we're not an isolated specialty, but we do have to uh, interact with with a multiplicity of people around us. I think a new awareness of what it is to care for a patient in the round uh, and not, not leaving them um, kind of isolated, dealing with the NT, but not thinking of them in, in the round. There are also very COVID-specific changes as well, such as fears of upstaging of disease, fears that we might never catch up fears that there might be a tsunami of potential litigation even later on. Um, I think some of what we're seeing around the hospital as well has been burnout of staff and the fact that we absconded ourselves from responsibilities of training for obvious reasons. There, there have been clearly pluses and minuses about training and I'm, I won't, that's hopefully a subject for another podcast actually. But a feeling that, that we all had that we needed to do something and that there was this was the time in which we needed to do it. Sure. Mm. So there were a couple of areas where kind of really ENT focused on cancer and obviously emergency operations. Do you want to say a little bit about that? So at the beginning in March and April, um, UCLH's research efforts were very much focused on the medical side of things and and totally appropriately. It was Mm. on emergency clinical trials of the therapies that would get people through ICU or even prevent them ending up on ICU and keep them alive once they were there. And, and that was very much the thrust of, of what the big teaching hospitals were doing uh, in, the, in the pandemic early phases. But I was um, very much aware that surgeons too were contributing to this research effort and pulled together um, a cross-specialty group um, to look at what the big challenges were and were likely to be that we might be able to address through research and, and audit um, and change. Um, and the big themes were cancer right across the specialties. So why we did what we did at the time uh, that was different, uh, what was important, um, what was, you know, what was serious, what was still being treated. And bear in mind that, that surgery is the main source of cure for most cancer sites. So this yeah. really was something that we wanted to look into in more detail, but also on the emergent operating theatre and environment as well. So so this is this is the areas that we specifically focused on in our pan-surgical UCLH strategy. Fantastic. So how do you think the COVID-19 pandemic will impact on laryngology and the people we treat? Yeah, so I think it really will. I mean, you know, the the changes are are not uh, not going to go away. I like to visualise COVID-19 as having four phases. An acute phase, which is the one we discussed earlier, uh, where we were learning on the hoof and actually introducing treatments on, on the hoof um, as as we learned about the disease. Then the multiple waves, um, which we are now surfing. Uh, then a recovery phase, although I think it's now clear that recovery blends into all of these multiple waves and maybe true recovery is still waiting for our herd immunity from the vaccinations that are coming along. 
and then a new normal that, that will, will come along thereafter. Uh, I did a graph of this uh, for one of the talks I gave, but actually it was hopelessly naive in terms of its uh, uh, expectations of how fast it would take to recover. In terms of actual uh, ways of envisaging um, what's happened to our patients during this, this time, though, um, mm. there was some a wonderful piece of insight from one of our breast surgeons, Neil Patani, who's a breast oncologist, and he uh, drew up a model, which is very simple, of four boxes of treatment that people received during COVID, which we can actually start to think about how, how these apply to um, laryngological uh, disorders. So firstly, there were people who were treated with conventional treatments on time. And some people were in, in, in some settings, um, particularly emergency treatments, but not always. And then there were people who were treated with non-conventional treatments, but at the at the right time. Uh, and I'm thinking here about how we might have upsized um, tracheostomies and delayed them, for example. Uh, how we might have avoided using lasers um, because of fear of the laser plumes and instead used uh, microdebriders or balloons instead of actually dealing with, with stenoses and papillomas. Then there were people who had either of those, either the normal uh, treatments or the abnormal treatments, but delayed. And these would have had an impact on patients in terms of their uh, physical outcomes, but also their psychological outcomes too. I mean, the, the delays to people with, for example, uh, spasmodic dysphonia, uh, that might not have been life-threatening, but you know, the impact of having a whole year where they were unable to communicate in the middle of a lockdown is just horrendous. Um, and similarly, cord palsies that went without their injections uh, or airway stenoses that weren't uh, properly addressed due to the fears of the laser plumes. You know, there's going to be a whole mixture of outcomes and, and people broadly will fall into these four boxes, which I think are a, a very useful way of envisaging it. But overall, we will certainly have more to do. Uh, we will have not only bigger physical disease, you know, uh, bigger masses of recurrent respiratory papillomatosis, worse yeah. stenoses to deal with but also these will be married to great psychological uh, trauma which we you know may not be well equipped to deal with yes then we probably need to extend our mdt a little bit in our voice clinics and airway clinics no i, th I think that's absolutely the case so you know w when we're looking to what recovery looks like for laryngology um i think it's already emerging from from the mist uh, i'd refer anybody listening to this to one of the earlier uh, podcasts which is uh, in series two which is this series episode two which is the one from manchester where the um, superb multidisciplinary uh, voice team there discuss how they have introduced um, virtual clinics uh, and how you know these really are they're never going to go back on this and how they're overcoming some of the problems of connectivity and uh, identifying people who need to be seen face to face, so I do refer people back to that, um, and this this will be expanded to I think increasing use of things like patient health records and sharing. Once we are able to overcome the GDPR issues, as well, of course, I absolutely agree. I think you know our MDTs will have to reach out to our increasingly strained mental health um, services, but they will of necessity do so. We, we know how much laryngology is intertwined with the psyche. Um, 
and and also yeah, I think you know for some time to come it's going to be a discrete group but a you know a very morbid group of people who are post coronavirus either with long COVID or the people who have been intubated. And again, before that, I refer people to the BLA webcast that was screened on the 16th of November that you can still actually get on the BLA website, either free to members or by others by registering. And, and there's a superb discussion of of how we're going to deal with some of this post-COVID disease from um, Chad Alyaki, Sadie Kwaja, Yakubu Karagama, Nick Hamilton and others. So how do you think that new technologies are really shaping the future of laryngology uh, post-COVID? Well, new, new technologies, technologies are an overused term in many senses, but I think, I think we, we can break it down into um, the advanced digital technologies. So and that's sort of augmented reality, mixed reality, artificial intelligence, uh, but also um, robotics, uh, advanced endoscopy, uh, and imaging techniques, um, as well as in improved communications. So all of these things were clearly bubbling around, but they have to be, have to be accelerated now. So we have to think about, you know, the the fact that we have a huge um, iceberg of untreated patients, and we did before COVID, and it's only got bigger. For example, um, in other fields, uh, we can measure the impact that uh, not having had colonoscopies is having on uh, missed tumours, uh, and how actually the NHS is simply never going to catch up with it unless they uh, double their investment in colonoscopies. Uh, there's going to be there already uh, is a significant upstaging of tumours from one uh, percent uh, per colonoscopy to six percent per colonoscopy, and the only way that they're going to get ahead of the game, like us, is by using technology. And in their case, it's going to be things like using advanced ways of um, searching for um, blood in stools, um, but also using AI to harness um, early detection. So I think we can probably map some of the things that are happening elsewhere onto onto Larry. You know, uh, we have more patients, but less money. And again, that also demands better use of technology. Uh, post, um, Post-coronavirus and post-Brexit, uh, the only thing that's certain is that there's going to be less money around and a need to streamline things. And the only way to square this circle is, is through tech. So, for example, we are uh, looking at ways in which we can use um, artificial intelligence to partner with the enhanced imaging that we're now using in the laryngology clinic. So the eye scans um, and um, other ways of, of imaging the larynx. These require big data sets, but I think by joining forces uh, with our head and neck colleagues and with each other, we can certainly accumulate these data sets and start to teach uh, AI to pick up things like the difference between a papilloma and the tumour, uh, like whether a dysplasia is going to become pregnant or not. We've already heard, as I say, from the Man- Manchester team, how we are going to increasingly use remote methods of looking at our patients. But we desperately need ways of, I think, being able to remotely visualise the larynx. And this might be done, for example, through remote ultrasounding close to the patient um, or new forms of imaging, maybe per oral, uh, maybe using um, drones. There are going to be ways in which we can do this um, so that people don't necessarily have to come into our clinics. We need to have better ways of communicating with each other. Um, we've completed a study on theatre communications with and without PPE, for example. This yeah. is with Andy Hall in Cardiff and Wayne Ellis, who's one of our audiology guys. 
uh, and found that there was a 90% reduction in speech discrimination when you're wearing PPE and actually up to a 50% reduction with just ordinary ambient sound. Uh, so improving the communication between theatre teams uh, in those settings and even in outpatient settings uh, is going to be assisted by using advanced um, auditory systems. We also particularly need to think about how we're going to keep teaching people and not just uh, the ENT surgeons coming through uh, and the budding laryngologists, but also the speech therapists, um, advanced nurse practitioners, the people who are going to fill the gaps that won't be filled by uh, laryngologists because there won't be enough of us. Uh, and therefore, we need to think about ways of doing remote mentoring and remote proctoring. Uh, the mentoring is the teaching. The remote proctoring is actually on the job, checking that people's quality of skills is up to scratch. And there are some superb ways of doing this now. Um, I've been working with um, a team using uh, remote systems in the operating theatre to do this, for example. Um, so I think that's now got to be a permanent part of life if we're to bring in the expertise, uh, which is very, very kind of constrained in terms of you know what uh, people at consultant level can can, can deliver uh, to the people um, at the workface in emergency situations and and in day to day life in remote settings. Um, so I think all of this is just going to be part of, of of what we have to do. So so basically. We have to create, we have to work with technologists, engineers, or we just won't be able to deal with the patient workload. We've simply got to do it. And so technology partnerships are, are an essential part, part of the future. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Prof, once again, so much for joining us and giving your insights on COVID-19, the impact on it's had on individuals laryngology as a whole and really helping us to navigate the future of laryngology post-COVID with the use of technology. Is there anything you would like our listeners to take home today? A couple of sentences just to round up. Yes, so I think I just go back to what I said at the beginning. You know, times of trauma are times of innovation. Um, And this has been just the most unexpected and awful experience for, for humanity. But we're going to see massive changes in every aspect of society, uh, industry and healthcare. And, you know, laryngology will be a microcosm of that. And it will be beneficial. It will be accelerated. COVID will deliver change. And it's not all going to be bad. And some of it will be highly beneficial. Uh, We need to be prepared for it, be flexible, embrace it. And it's going to ultimately, I think, deliver a future that's going to come sooner than we expected uh, and better for patients and for those that deliver care. Let's keep on hoping. Thank you so much, Prof. My pleasure. Thank you, Nassau. We hope you've enjoyed listening. This has been BLA Connections, A Clear Voice. I have been your host, Natalie Watson. Our full series can be found in the podcast provider of your choice or you will find all stored on our BLA Connect app for easy access. We would also love to hear from you. Please feel free to email with any topics you would like us to explore, any questions you have, along with any suggested experts you would like to hear from. Also, if you'd like to contribute to these podcasts, please email inquiries at britishlaryngological.org. Thank you for listening, and we hope you found our podcast informative. Please remember to subscribe and do leave a review with your podcast provider. We do appreciate your likes, subscribes and reviews.